Hi there, and welcome to a different way of seeing. Have you ever wondered how a disabled person lives their life? Join our host Lois Drachen as she chats to people about work, education, travel, sport, the arts, and leisure, and the tools and techniques they use to live their lives with the disability. And now, on with the show. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of A Different Way of Seeing, a podcast where we talk all things disability. I'm your host, Lois Strachan. Over the last two episodes, we've been looking at different perspectives, different lenses through which to view the question of employability of persons with disabilities in South Africa. And today, we are having a third lens through which to view this question. As with the previous two episodes, we are talking with Jeremy Opperman, who is an inclusion specialist who has worked in this field for a number of years. Jeremy, thank you for joining us again to round out the conversation about the different perspectives impacting on employability. How are you doing? Thank you. Thank you, Lois. It's good to be back. It's good to be back. Thank you. Maybe we should start off by just recapping what you've discussed over the last two episodes. Okay. So essentially, we're exploring the issue of, of employability or rather employment of persons with disabilities. And the, the sort of elephant in the room there is why is it so difficult? Why are we taking so long to get it right? Why are so few people with disabilities employed? And so what I've done in the last two episodes is, is I've given two parts of a model that I I've been working with my own model for many years, which is, which tries to illustrate that there is a need for perspective and that we mustn't see employment of persons with disabilities through a very narrow lens. Um, and so, and, and unfortunately, so that's what the, 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 the model is what I call the perspective view or the trinocular view. And what it does essentially is it, 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 um, encourages one to move away from being fixated in one very narrow lens, which is in the first one was the compliance legislative view. We spend a lot of energy complying with particularly the Department of Labor's expectations around the, Empl the Employment Equity Act um, and, um, and, and additional compliance noise uh, regarding the Triple BWE, the Broad-Based Black Economic Empowerment Act. And those things, unfortunately, are very narrow, and they and they they don't see the big picture. And so, it's important that you click lenses to open your eyes to some of the realities, which is the next lens, which I call the reality check or fact over myth or whatever you want to call it. But essentially, that it 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 unpacks some of the hidden realities of disability that could influence the employment of persons of both people of people with disabilities. And today I'm going to be talking about the third lens, which is what I call the business case, the business case lens, the business case view. Now, I love this part because it's positive and it's got um, absolutely bottomless potential. There is literally no end to potential in this in this um, part. It 
it isn't so it's a little less daunting a little less dark than the last lens the reality check which is which is not for not you know it's it's not for timid reading um but the business case does have its elements of exclusion which are irritant which are hard to handle but there is such potential and when you hear the kinds of things that could be if one embraces the business case more, then you can see why it's exciting. And so if I can kick straight off into this. So notwithstanding the reality check, the high unemployment level, the, the high numbers of persons with disabilities, um, the, the low education level of a portion of persons with disabilities, particularly those born with disabilities, um, the poor access environment, the poor accessible transport environment, notwithstanding all those harsh realities, the fact is, is that people with disabilities do have to be consumers. They have to buy stuff too. And here's the really, this is the, 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 the crux of this thing is, is that if you take away the barriers, preventing people from being greater consumers, then surely that is a, a good economic model. And one of them is if you were to employ more people with disabilities properly, not underemploy them, you employ them according to their skill and their training um, and their experience, then they too would have more spendable um, finance or spendable you know, economic uh, opportunity. And so if you underemploy people, they're not going to be spending according to their, to their, you know, to the way that they ought to be given their skill, et cetera. So that's the, that's the first thing is that one of the reasons, a really good reason to employ people is in fact a, a, a really strong economic reason. Um, they not only would they be spending, they would be paying tax. So that's that's all good stuff. That so the business case says what so what what impact could people with disabilities have? And this is where it gets really interesting. Is that if you take the economic potential of people with disabilities, they punch way above their weight for this reason. So if an individual who happens to have a disability cannot get into a place that is selling a service, the chances are he isn't alone. He's almost certainly not going to be, well, not, not almost certainly. There's a good chance that he wasn't alone in that, in that interaction. He was probably with somebody, a spouse, a mother, a father, a sister, girlfriend, wife, whatever. And if he was excluded, then they too will feel excluded. And that has an impact. And so he then will say things like, well, you know, I'm never going back to that shop again. The partner, whoever was with them, might very well feel the same way. So that's already something. So now when you, you add the family and the friends of people with disabilities that, they, that are in their orbit, you're looking at quite a big, what's the word, um, impact chain, if you like, uh, people who will be influenced and who may very well have a negative opinion of an, of an establishment. So that's, that's an important thing. So let me tell a little story here, which to my mind is, is one of the finest uh, illustrations of 
of the power of people with disabilities. So, so many years ago, when we still had cell phones with with buttons and aerials, <laughs> um, blind people had to use a a, a third-party software called Talks, and they had to have that installed by a vendor, third-party vendor, and it cost a lot of money, right? low as you'll recall. Yeah. Um, you know, and it cost 2,000 rand. I'll never forget. I was horrified at the amount of money needed to buy this damn software. And then we discovered that we couldn't transfer that software onto the new device because cell phone companies were every two years peddling new devices to us. And we realized that we couldn't couldn't transfer the software onto the new device. And we had to buy it all over again, which enraged many people. And then one of our largest cell phone companies, um, influenced largely by individuals with disabilities that worked for them, made an extraordinary business decision. And I, I cannot overstate the, the enormity of this decision in, in significance. They said, okay, from now on, blind people with you uh, who have contracts with us will have talks loaded onto their phones for no charge. And you can see what happened. So, I mean, if you look at my number, if you if you analyze my cell phone number, you'll recognize very quickly which cell phone number it used to be. And I migrated over to that other cell phone company. But here's the business case. It wasn't just one little blindie that went across. I had five accounts, my wife's phone, my phone, my son's phone, my daughter's phone, and my 3G dongle. That's five accounts. So the old company lost not one, five. Now, you can be sure that I wasn't the only one. So every single blind person that moved across probably moved with others with them. And that's the business case. So one company lost business because they didn't see the gap. And that's a, that's a really, and, and that, that's why I love that. I mean, I, the world is, is, is always richer by these wonderful examples of maverick decisions like that. I mean, that was quite a courageous business decision to make. Let me tell you another one. And I will use the brand here because I, I think it's fine, because it's one, it's irrefutable. And, and, and I think it's absolutely fine to use the brand is Apple. So same same situation. When the smartphone came out in 2010, blind people immediately struggled. Partially sighted people were able to, to some degree, manage that struggle. Blind, totally blind people were all at sea on the smartphone without some form of talking software on that phone. By the time of the 4S, the iPhone 4S, and Steve Jobs was uh, in charge at the time. Never the easiest man to work with, apparently. Hard, um, unemotional, and yet he signed off on an extraordinary decision that every single Apple device at that time, and I forget the exact date, um, it was probably close to 2012, 2013, every single Apple device had proprietary um, Apple voiceover software loaded onto that device, whether it was a cell phone, the 4S, whether it was a Mac, an Air, or an iPod, or an iPad. Everyone had voiceover loaded. 
as proprietary software in there. You didn't have to download it. That was an extraordinary departure. And what it meant was that that device became the, the first smartphone that, that blind people were very drawn to very, very quickly, of course. And this is also part of the business case. Very quickly, the other big players, Motorola, Samsung, Nokia, and all the others realized that they were, they were caught napping and they had to quickly jump and they had to, they had to, they had to find, you know, talking software and they had to load it on or you were able to download it. But it wasn't as easy as the Apple solution because we could pick up any Apple device and without any difficulty access that talking software, which meant we could drive any Apple device. And that was very, very powerful. So that's an example of a courageous business. People said, I wonder why he did that. And I'll tell you why. Because 285 million people in the world are blind or visually impaired. That's a market share. And he saw it. Why else would he have done it? There's no other conceivable reason why he would have done it. Um, and so that's an example of the business case. And so I have a, a cartoon. Um, as you know, I love my cartoons. And I, I have a rather visual mind for a, a blind person. And I, I, I get an idea and then I get a cartoonist, uh, invariably my daughter, to draw the cartoon for me. And here's a, my favorite business case cartoon is is an actual story it's a real story it actually happened and i was well i'll tell the story afterwards so the cartoon is of a hotel and you see the inside of a hotel and the hotel manager is saying to one of their staff but why should we make our hotel accessible we never have any disabled guests and when I teach this stuff i often have a slide a slide a powerpoint slide and i i say next to the cartoon well, duh, I wonder why. And so now transpose that. And you could say, so why should we make our school accessible? We never have any disabled kids. Why should we make our bus accessible? We never have any disabled passengers. And this is the reason why the business case is so important to look at, is because we're coming out of an old paradigm. Um, and the paradigm that is loosely known and as you know, it's, it's quite, it's quite fairly controversial in some mindsets, but I believe it's important still to this day. It's called the medical model. And it's, it's something that we, um, have grown up with for millennia really is that people with disabilities were regarded as second class citizens, um, in the sense that they weren't expected to be able to go places or do things because of their disability. And enormous tracts of society were excluded them. Education, employment, transport, to name, th to name three. So we've grown up with this. And it's only in the last 50-odd years since the early 70s that the penny started dropping. The penny started dropping that... Um, that it's the barriers that prevent us from accessing things in society, not the disabilities. Lovely, lovely example. I read in a book once about a young man who returned from the Vietnam War, clearly injured, spinal cord injury in a wheelchair, goes back to his little town in America and his voting time, and he wants to vote. And the polling station was in the school as it is in many countries in the world, including ours, where you put your polling stations in schools, and the schools were very inaccessible, as many of our schools still are. 
um, and he couldn't get in to vote. He was enraged that he couldn't vote along with everyone else. It didn't matter that there might have been a special vote opportunity. That wasn't the point. He wanted to vote with everyone else. And he sued his town, <laughs> a classic American overreaction, and he sued his town. And he won because it was bleedingly obvious that it was hardly his fault that he couldn't get into that school on a polling station. And the penny started dropping with stories like that, saying, well, actually, if if that polling station had been more accessible, then surely more people would vote. And wow, that police station happens to be a school. So if we took the barriers away, surely then kids with physical disabilities would be able to access that school too. Ding, ding, ding. So that's how the social model was largely born, where people began to realize that barriers actually are the thing. Now, barriers, as we both know, are not only physical, they're attitudinal. Okay, so no physical barrier made itself. They're made by people. They're made by people. And so slowly, very slowly, this paradigm is shifting into place. We call it the social model. And essentially it says that people with disabilities have been and have been rendered um, excluded because of so many barriers in society. And the obvious inference is, well, then surely if you remove more of those barriers, then more people will be able to access those things in society. And this is borne out by the definition of uh, of disability in the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. And the definition reads like this. You have a disability if you have a long-term uh, physical, sensory, or psychosocial impairment that along with various barriers impede your ability to access things in society uh, along with everyone else. And I've scrambled that a bit. I haven't done that very well at all. So let me try it again. You have a disability if you have a long-term physical, sensory, or psychosocial impairment that in combination with various barriers um, impact your ability or um, deny your ability to access normal things in society along with everyone else. So. The, the 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 huge big banner there is barriers. Yeah. Is barriers. It 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 takes on impairments, sure. We all yeah, we have impairments, absolutely, but it's the barriers that prevent us. And the more barriers we remove, the more people with disabilities will be able to access the things that everybody else takes for granted. And that's the important thing. That's the important thing. And so in the business case. If you, for instance, improve your physical infrastructure, your, your public transport infrastructure, so that people with disabilities are able to access that public transport, they're not going to catch that bus or that train just for the sake of catching it. <laughs> they're going somewhere. <laughs> to do something. To do something. And it yeah. could be work. It could be school. It could be vast university. It could be a retail transaction. But fail to give them an accessible transport. And they're not going to get to that school, that workplace, that university, or that retail transaction. And so they will. So what barrier removal does is that it, it enhances the inclusion at more levels, which is why I've been, which is why I, I, I put this as part of the three lens model, because 
If I say to banks, whenever I work with banks, I say to them, they grumble, you know, we don't have enough people with disabilities working for us. I said, well, if you don't look after your customers with disabilities, why on earth would they want to work for you? I say the same things to municipalities. If you don't look after your citizens with disabilities, why on earth would they want to work for you? And that's also the business case. So if you can demonstrate greater um, barrier removal inclusion, and and, there, and there's some wonderful examples out there, you know, for instance, and there's, I mean, there's some problem areas, but it isn't all about being negative. So you and I know, for instance, that some of the, you and I have both seen, because we've had this conversation for so many years, we've both seen the evolution of online shopping. Yeah. And we've known when it was inaccessible. And we know now, for instance, that there are several of the online shopping or many of the online shopping uh, infrastructures are accessible, which means we use them. That's the business case. But if I couldn't use them, I wouldn't, which means they're not getting my business, which means they're not getting my family's business. That's the business case. So it makes it's bleedingly obvious that there's a there's a very good reason to to do this because it makes business sense. And I, when I teach the stuff, I have a PowerPoint slide saying uh, it makes business sense, and I spell sense C E N T S. Um, <laughs> so we, you know, the the spendability, the 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 uh, economic impact of persons with disabilities is way bigger than was ever assumed. Simply because they don't they don't shop alone very often. They don't they they invariably have people with them. I've seen, in their orbit. Yes, I've, I've seen that particularly um it, it's becoming talked about a lot in the travel market. <clears throat> Looking Absolutely. at the the value of the accessible travel market itself. And yes. it's in the billions of dollars. And the, the the basic premise of that goes that people with disabilities often travel with other people. Mm. And they stay longer because they know that a place is accessible rather than chopping and changing where they have run more yeah. risk against absolutely, absolutely. the yep. ability to access places. Yep. And so, the, you know, I've, I'm definitely seeing that coming out in, in the, the, the travel industry as well. So absolutely. And there's one, an interesting point to be made there is that, is that is, let's be honest, the ones who are traveling are probably older because they've got the money to do so. And their disabilities may very well have been, they're not necessarily all youngsters with disabilities. I mean, obviously many youngsters with disabilities try and travel too and do, but the ones with the money is the gray or the, the gray or silver economy, it's called, yeah. are the people with some age behind them, seniors, okay? And many of them are beginning to encounter late or age-related disabilities. Um, age-related visual problems, age-related hearing problems, mm -hmm. age-related physical problems, hips, knees start going, that sort of thing. But the fact is they've got the money and they will go to places and they'll go use, like the, for instance, the, the the ocean liners, the, the yes. shipping, um, well, yeah, let's call it the ocean liners. They saw this coming years ago, years ago. So a good friend of mine who's a quadriplegic and I know his wife as well. Also, uh, both of them are PhDs in disability studies and, and they're very sharp people. He's a quadriplegic and she's deaf. And they had their honeymoon 
um, on an ocean boat, on an ocean liner, because it was accessible. The moment he got off into the destination, he struggled. But in the boat itself, he said it was the finest access experience of his life. Um, and so that's going to attract. That's the business case talking. So they, if, if a city is known for its access, it will attract that section or sector of the, of the tourism market more. On the other hand, if it's if it's known to be inaccessible, it absolutely will not. And which one makes business sense? It's a no-brainer. It's an absolutely. absolute no-brainer. So if so to, to link this to employability is that the business case works at various levels to facilitate greater employability um, by giving greater opportunity and 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 Hopefully, organizations by looking at their consumers. So, the same thing with universities. There's another business case, by the way. Universities invariably hire their own graduates. Okay. I mean, if you, if you, if you, on a scale, you, you, it wouldn't be difficult to believe that. So, universities, they're both academic and their administrative staff, faculty staff. Uh, well, their faculty and the administrative staff are very often the same graduates that went to that university. And if that university is very disability friendly, very disability confident, then same thing. Then their employer, their ability to employ more people with disabilities would be greater because they would have more students with disabilities. And so it's the same thing. So it works towards employment. And what it does also, the, the business case is a powerhouse of, of potential in being able to change the face of disability inclusion because if more people with disabilities are seen in the society then it, it will break down that old barrier of invisibility more i'll never forget a, a man coming to to cape town from overseas from europe and i took him to our big waterfront and this is now 20 years ago and he was fascinated at how few people with disabilities he saw mm. and he made a point of saying that and I said, well, well, I didn't really understand. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he says, well, because in a big pedestrian area like this in Holland, where I come from, I would definitely see more people with disabilities. And that really made me think. And then when I finally did get to travel to Holland, quite a long time after that, about 15 years after that incident, my kids and my wife, but my kids particularly, and they were teenagers, they they were blown away by how many people with disabilities they saw on public transport and in the big pedestrian areas in Amsterdam and other parts of Holland. They couldn't, and my, dad, my boy said, check that, Dad, there's a guy in a wheelchair. I wonder how he gets on. And then he looked at the carriage and he looked at the platform and he thought, okay, okay. And then immediately, as a young person would, he thought, yeah, that makes sense. See, no, no barriers. He gets in, he gets to his place, he ties himself to the wall or whatever. And he's on. But they saw so many that it became almost a game. Check, Dad, there's another one. Check, Dad. They couldn't believe how many people with disabilities they saw in a society because they didn't see them here in ours. And that's the business case talking in reverse because we don't, sadly, we haven't yet got this one right in our country. And uh, there's a lot of work to be done. And there's no question that some organizations are doing better than others. And we're slowly seeing something, but we've got a long way to go. 
it's interesting because, you know, I keep coming up with the thought that an organization that employs more people with disabilities then has better input into the conversation around customer service, product provision, um, inclusion, diversity. And suddenly, by bringing those voices into the conversation, it starts a positive spiral. Absolutely. Because the products become better able to serve people with disabilities and the broader community. Yes. Customer yes. service becomes better able to, to serve and support customers with disabilities. And it just becomes a whole system. You know, in one of the previous episodes, I spoke about a vicious circle of the spiral downwards, mm. but the, the simple act of opening the conversation to a more diverse set of voices, it's, a, it's being shown again, the business case has been That's shown right. to, to see how much value there is in that. And I've, I've often heard it said that disability is the poor cousin of the disability, of the diversity and inclusion conversation. Yes, indeed. And Probably for it me. just makes, <laughs> amongst <laughs> others, actually. But, no, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, you know, it, it just, it all feeds into itself. Indeed. And at the Absolutely. moment, I'm, I'm still feeling that in South Africa, as in many other countries, that conversation is feeding into itself in a downwards spiral. We're shifting and we're starting to see some of those shifts more broadly to turn that into a positive spiral of greater inclusion, greater business case, greater employment, greater income, less poverty, which then means greater inclusion in society as mm. well as in mm. workplaces. Yep. I, I, yep. I don't think it's. Maybe I'm naive, but I don't think it's necessarily a hard shift to make, provided, and I think this is one of the, the points that you have continually stressed through these three episodes, is mm. providing the attitudinal shift yes. happens yes. towards greater inclusion. Exactly right. And you're absolutely right. It needn't be hard. It needn't be a hard transformation. And I found... You know, in all my experience, which I suppose is considerable, I have rarely come across somebody who is absolutely negatively fixated, who is categorically against this. It's very rare that I've got somebody that negative. And what I mean by somebody, I mean people of influence, people who could, could make something different happen. What, what is invariably my experience with my clients or with people I engage with are uh, is is a awakening is oh wow I didn't I think I never of that. thought of it yeah yeah exactly oh wow and that's all I ask for if I could if I could get 10 people a day to go oh wow then I've done my job I've done my job you know and because we need more of those oh wow they're called aha moments in training yes. you know the aha moment. Ah, 
and we need more of that. And it's wonderful to watch when yeah, it, it when it happens. I've seen I've seen it happen. I've seen companies transform when they've worked this one out, not slaving away at trying to employ people in a vacuum, as I mentioned in a previous episode, but actually to look at inclusion in a broader holistic way, a broader holistic way. Um, and so perhaps in another episode, if you're open to it, I'd like to explain a, a holistic, holistic um, disability equity employment strategy. Um, where you look broader, you look at the at the company in a much wider way, rather, and it includes looking at the company from every perspective, not just human resources, which is all people do from a compliance when they do the compliance thing, but if you look at a company at at every element of its of itself, its IT, its infrastructure, its admin, its finance, its sales, its marketing, all those things, its human resources, all of those things make up. The company, and if you if you get if you get those things to be disability confident, <laughs> your your employability will will change completely because then it'll be a lot easier. Oh, and your supply chain, another one, very important one. So all those elements make up the entity known as a company or a business, and if you get them to be all disability confident, then your chances of employing more people with disabilities will be far far higher. Which sounds like a good place to end this part of the conversation. And I think I like the idea of looking at a strategy and a conversation around strategy because I think that offers more concrete ideas or just thoughts that people can take away and start implementing into their mm. corporates into their companies. So maybe we should look at extending this conversation to at least one more episode and then Good. looking more broadly at the possibilities that exist within the employment space. Because I do realize it's, it's not just employment on its own. And you, exactly. you pointed that out very clearly. It is employment within a broader context. That's and there it. are many things that a company cannot directly influence, including education, transport, yes, things like that. Yes, absolutely. But, in but neither can one single piece of legislation such as the Employment Equity Act influence that. Um, and absolutely, so, yeah. You know, so, that, so the big elephant in the room really from a legislative point of view, and I reiterated that in that episode, was that without – overarching disability legislation, such as the Disability Rights Act, we are made very vulnerable. Um, so it would be, and, and we've seen this, I've watched, I'm very interested to watch the British experiment with the DDA in 95. And in, in 2005, they kind of needed a kickstart to remind them that the DDA existed. And then after that, they sort of shelved the DDA and they, they created the, the tribunal, the Equality Tribunal, which basically gave teeth a punitive, punitive teeth to non-compliance. That you know, unless you have something like that, um, then you you know you you don't have much incentive. Which is why it's important to look yeah. at the whole picture, all three lenses. And I, I believe that companies and, and can, in fact, make quite a significant difference, even if you don't have those things. 
such as legislation, but there needs to be a political will. And I don't mean politics in the political sense. I mean political will, meaning, you know, people of significance in organizations. And that's why um, I'll mention another, another aspect here. One of the most significant missing links in this whole game is leadership is executive participation, is executive understanding of what we're talking about. Um, and that's something that must, in fact, be spoken about as well. It seems to be a multifaceted conversation. Sure. That could sure. go on forever and ever. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't, yeah, that's right. Don't get me started. I'll never stop. <laughs> yeah, runaway sure. train. <laughs> Jeremy, thanks so much for, for sharing some of your thoughts um, on this far more positive aspect of looking at the business case. Mm. And, you know, I, right early on in this conversation, I was reminded of a guest speaker I heard at a conference. And she put things quite bluntly by saying, if you have a negative experience, you're likely to tell on average 19 people. Mm -hmm. If you have a positive experience, chances are you'll only tell two. Isn't that funny, eh? Isn't that funny? What a sad thing. It, um, it is. And it mm -hmm. is. And I I do think that we hear a lot about the, the negative stories, the bad stories. Mm -hmm. And showcasing the positive stories is a very important part of acknowledging, celebrating, and inspiring others to also look yeah. at improving this aspect of inclusion. So thank you for sharing those thoughts with us on, on the sure. podcast. It's been great to have you with us for these three episodes. And as I say, I am very definitely keen to, to ask you to come back in to talk about the strategic approach to move forwards. Good. Um, Good. If people want to reach out to you to to discuss this further and in more detail, or possibly to look at finding ways of improving their own diversity, their own mm. inclusion in their organisations, how can they find you? They can find me through my website www.disabilitydesk.co.za or my email Jeremy at disabilitydesk. .co.za, or they can find me on LinkedIn. That's great. And we will include those links in the show notes. I also want to just put a word out to our listeners and say, anyone listening who has experience of a working environment, I'd love to hear some of your experiences about what your company's done well and areas that possibly you've struggled to, to to network and make your way through this often difficult world mm. that is employability. So reach out. You can reach out to us on through my website, loisstrachen.com, or through Facebook or LinkedIn. And my contact details are also in the show notes. So Jeremy, a final thank you for, for the conversation. For the three conversations that we've had so far, and we will definitely look forward to engaging with you again soon. Excellent. Lois, thank you. It's been wonderful sharing this, and thank you for the opportunity.
It's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to A Different Way of Seeing. We would love to connect with you. So find Lois at loisstrachen.com or Facebook, Lois Strachan Speaker. This podcast was edited by Craig Strachan using Hindenburg Pro. Hindenburg, it's all about the story. The credits are done at Naledi Media. Naledi Media, all your vocal needs under one roof. Read by Charlie Jassy. That's it for now. Thank you for joining us and see you next time when we bring you into the world of seeing differently.